Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Each week we explore questions of faith, community, and identity. This is Jessica Chen Fing, and I'm your host for this season as we dive into issues of mental and relationship health. Thank you for joining us. Well, today I have with me a really delightful guest that I met through an Asian American Christian faculty network. We have Dr. Rakshan Fernando. Rakshan, welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Rakshan is the Interim Dean of the School of Business and Management at Azusa Pacific University in Azusa, California. And actually through different settings we've been in, I've had the opportunity to meet his family and to to meet his kids. And actually today, that's what we're talking about. We are talking about becoming the best parent for your child or your children. And I think Rakshan and his wife, they have a lot to share about this. So we'll dive right in. Mm -hmm. So Rakshan, what led to your interest in parenting issues? And could you share about your own journey toward becoming the parent that you are and continue to hope to be? Well, actually, it's interesting because I'm I'm married across race. So my my wife is a white woman. She's got a Swedish background from northern Indiana. She grew up in the midst of the cornfields. And to be, you know, quite frank, I don't think her parents knew what to do when I walked, you know, into into the house. Um, they were not expecting me. And so initially, uh, she and I really questioned if we should have kids just yeah. because of where we were living and also because, you know, we anticipated potential challenges raising kids, mm-hmm. um, biracial kids, especially in, in, in rural Indiana. We just didn't know what that would look like. But, you know, I love kids. Actually, the favorite period of our kids' lives were when they were babies and toddlers, and now they're, now they're teenagers, so I do miss that time. But from a very, very early stage of our parenting journey, even when the kids were like very, very little, we would read to them, and all of the literature, the books, the images we would put in front of them were uh, diverse images. And so that was a really, a really important part of uh, embedding diverse voices, diverse pictures, diverse stories in front of them. And not just, my, I'm originally from Sri Lanka, it's not just, you know, a Sri Lankan story or, you know, a story uh, that's maybe more Caucasian American story. It was a diversity of stories that represents, you know, the great country that we live in. And so the immigrant story, the the faith story, you know, and that's diversity of faith, right? Not just Christian, but also other faiths, but also different kinds of faith traditions. And then also we, you know, and this is, I think, God working in our relationships, but we also were able to initially develop relationships with families which had kids that had, that were differently abled. uh, And that was able to also create a richness to my kids' understanding of what what are the capacities of kids that are differently abled um, and how they can teach our kids different things that they wouldn't be able to know or understand because of their own narrative. So I think it's been, you know, books and literature and the type of media that we have put our kids in front of. All of those things put together have been a huge part of creating that self-awareness, not just within the kids, but also within us, because we were learning that ourselves because as somebody that grew up partly in the United States, partly in Sri Lanka, and my parents 
being first generation immigrants and, and Jody's parents being where they were, the aspect especially of race and racial identity wasn't part of the conversation as they were as they were developing as parents. And yeah. so that's something that we had to teach ourselves. Yeah. Wow. So just by virtue of being in a biracial marriage, you had to really think about that, be very intentional in your parenting. That's amazing. Now, you know, a lot of books talk about parenting um, and, and there's so many tools about that. And we'll probably come back to this conversation, but what about our own self-awareness? So it's like, you're talking about how you wanted to raise your kids and, and provide this diverse context and richness. What about like your own racial identity, your wives? Like what role does that play, our own self-awareness? Mm. Well, I mean, when we went to grad school, both of us were just exposed to different authors, different narratives that, that changed the way that we look at ourselves. And actually, this is something that, you know, I've had a conversation with one of our good friends, Jana Louis, about um, that, you know, when I was in, when I was in, my graduate program at Michigan in the late 90s and early 2000s, the challenge for me, at least in the Asian Americans racial identity conversation, is that I didn't really see any South Asian authors or voices being represented in those, those conversations. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of purposefully talk to family members and others to, to gain that understanding of what that might mean within the American context. Mm -hmm. In terms of my own self-awareness, honestly, in the early part of our marriage for several years also just personally, I needed to go to counseling. And that was huge for me in terms of understanding the various intersectionalities of my own identity. And I don't know if I could have just got that through books or just kind of conversation. That's been a huge part of that. So counseling has been a big part. And then also I read a number and my wife and I have read a number of kind of contemplative authors, kind of ancient future faith folks that have taught me different parts, different practices, different processes that maybe our current evangelical church doesn't value. So liturgy, prayer, centering prayer, silence, solitude, hmm. journaling. And these things have all been tools for me to, and my wife, to grow in our own self-awareness, both individually and as a couple. Hmm. I love that. So I'm going to probably ask some follow-up on a few of those things with intersectionality. If you could just, for our listeners, explain what you mean by that for yourself. Yeah. So I have an interesting story because I've lived in like three different parts of the country. I've lived in Washington, D.C. I've lived in rural Indiana, also lived in inner city Indianapolis, but then also now live in Southern California. And especially during my time in rural Indiana for 12 years, I lived in a town of 1,200 people where the KKK was still active. You know, we were getting threatening phone calls. We actually had to leave because wow. we were, our family was in danger. You know, I've been pulled, been pulled over by the cops. I've been chased out of gas stations, things like that. And so a lot of this formative experience that when I was going through these difficult times, most of my conversations were happening with African-American men and women. Whereas I think when I've interacted with South Asians, at least here in Southern California, there's a different racial journey. There's a different uh, racial dynamic here in Southern California. 
And so my identity has been shaped, for example, in my experiences in rural Indiana, that's maybe different than in, my, in some of my colleagues or my friends here that are South Asian that have had a Southern California experience. Hmm. In addition, one other thing is that growing up in Sri Lanka, there's only you know, 2% of people in Sri Lanka are, they would call themselves evangelical Christian, for example. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in a high school that I was the only Christian. I was sent to the principal's office for just talking, just talking about my faith. Wow. And so that's a different narrative as well in terms of my faith than maybe others have experienced being a minority, not just in terms of my race, but also in terms of my faith. Mm, yeah. You know, that's what you're sharing, I really appreciate because we think so much about intersectionality as like just what's going on in my identity, my racial identity, gender, whatever, but it has everything to do with our context. And you highlight that really, really helpfully. You know, this podcast, we're hoping that a lot of Asian Americans with a Christian background are listening in. When we think about parenting as it relates to our racial identity and awareness, what are some things that parents can do to explore that? Because as you probably know, many of us, especially East Asian or lighter skinned Asian Americans, don't grow up being taught about our racial identity and have very little understanding. Yeah, it's, you know, honestly, a journey I'm still on, arrived in any shape of, of the word, of arriving. Um, so it, I feel like I'm kind of on a third way. Mm-hmm. And the third way would be maybe how, for lack of a better word, I know this is a st- stereotype, maybe how maybe Western parenting exhibits itself, either culturally or through the media. And then what I saw in my parents as first generation immigrants. And so right or wrong, you know, as first generation immigrants in a parenting context, because of the, their own intersectionality and because of the context that they're experiencing, sometimes there's trauma, sometimes there's expectations, sometimes there's unrealistic expectations placed on children that get, un, they get misplaced and then that gets given to the child and then they give it to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so just in terms of, you know, some of the things that, you know, we laugh about in Asian American communities around academics, around duty, around appearance and face saving, around, especially around issues of shame Mm. and using shame. So one of the things I had to really kind of explore when my kids were especially toddlers is how was I engaging shame in discipline? and as opposed to providing them choices and alternatives, um, I was too quick to shame and to sort of box them into a specific rule set, uh, which didn't work for them and it didn't work for their context. Mm. And then the other big thing as being a parent now of of teens is my parents would be very quick to let me know what they feel like, uh, (laughs) what they feel like when you tell me, right? Yeah. (laughs) About my relationships and, 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 you know, that actually in many ways worked for me. Uh, and my parents actually, compared to other Sri Lankan parents, really dialed it back. Um, so I appreciate them for that. But now living and loving two kids that grew up in Southern California, you know, I, I laugh at myself because I sometimes feel like I have a bloody mouth because I'm biting my tongue so much. <laughs> so that's been something I've really had to remember to like hold back on because we want them to have that opportunity to come in, you know, teens. They come in at 11.30 at night wanting to have a long conversation and you're exhausted. <laughs> but that's a sign of a great relationship. Yeah. Now, it's normal 
uh, and, and the roles are a lot, lot less formal. They're a lot more murkier from my understanding. So that's been something that I've had to grow in my understanding and awareness of. Well, what you're describing is reflective of your awareness of your parents' parenting, realizing why was it that way in that generation and context, and then your parenting now is, is in a different place, and your kids are different people in a different part of the world, and so adapting yourself to that, and, and that can build positive connections with your now teenage kids. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's awesome. What about our faith and thinking about faith and culture and race together? Any thoughts about where that comes together and what parents can think about as they navigate those pieces? Well, I mean, I think I can, I can share with you something that, you know, we're navigating right now. Um, and that is that, you know, being the fact that, you know, my wife grew up from all of her life here in the U.S. and that she's... Caucasian American, and I've grown up in multiple places in the world, and she comes from a you know an American evangelical background. Her faith journey uh, was very different to mine. Hmm. There is some similarities, but there's also differences. And so, for example, the church that my kids go to right now, I have a lot of res reservations about. You know, now now I think it's re been a really good thing for them. And this is part of that, you know, difference in parenting that, that I've grown into because, you know, in Sri Lankan family, if you go to a church or you go to the same church as your parents, you wouldn't dare go to a different church. But they're going to a different church as teens than, we, than my wife and I go to. My wife and I had to sit down and really talk through some of the racial dynamics, some of the power dynamics, some of the issues of gender that come up as a result of then going to this church. And so that's been a struggle. But I think the beautiful thing that has happened is that there's been self-awareness for our kids, for my wife and I, and it actually has more clearly articulated for the kids about what they believe. Hmm. I think they've kind of are coming to a balance of critiquing their church context, but yet still loving their faith. Hmm. And I wouldn't say we've done that perfectly. By no means have we done that perfectly. But I think that that's been a challenge for us in terms of the race dynamic because this church is predominantly white. It's a faith dynamic because of the way that at least this American evangelicalism kind of expresses itself in that context. And then it's a cultural dynamic because of the differences, you know, between maybe what I experience in cultural Christianity and in culture, as well as what I see here in Southern California, where in my view, church is more of an add-on as opposed to kind of an embedded part of one's life because people are so busy and their lives are on the freeway. Yeah, I appreciate that because I think what you talked about, the Sri Lankan church family life, yeah. you all go to the same church. I think a lot of Asian Americans maybe grew up with that model in the immigrant ethnic cultural church. And so it's hard to envision now that you know, 1.5 second generation is growing up, raising their own children, figuring out what church can look like. What does it mean to live out our faith? Um, do I enforce things the same way my parents enforced things? What do I teach about you know, who God is? But I guess what the example you just shared really highlights the processing you and your wife are doing along the way 
to really adapt to every change as it comes up with your kids. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, they're going to have a different experience, faith, culture, race, as biracial kids than I have as a Sri Lankan American. Mm-hmm. And so some of the marginalization that I've experienced, that, and I would say some of it has been traumatic, I have to be careful not to give it to them. Yeah. Because they're going to have a different experience, right? And so, and that's been one of my struggles as that, you know, when I see them in that church context, sometimes I'm realizing, okay, I'm projecting my own experience onto them when that experience may not be theirs. Mm. So that's been part of my self-awareness in that conversation. And it's been humble because I've had to say that to the kids, look, I'm wrong on this. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm seeing that differently. Yeah. Which by the way is not typical in Sri Lankan families that parents Yes. That's wonderful. Actually, you remind me of a conversation that myself and all of my cousins had with our, our moms, all of the aunts. And the aunts were all talking about the racism they experienced growing up or when they immigrated to New York and New Jersey. And then not myself, because I've experienced it, but my younger cousins were like, no, mom, like that doesn't happen anymore. And, um, but it's, it's so insightful to be aware of, even around our racial experience. And your kids have a different racial identity than you do. But like, you know, for, for our family, everyone is generally Taiwanese-American looking. But even then, because of different contexts and different generation, we don't necessarily want to put on to children what doesn't belong to them exactly. or we don't know if they're going to have that experience. Yeah. So what about the, the marital relationship? You know, I'm a family therapist, right? We, we talk a lot about marriage and its influence on parenting. What are your thoughts about that? Oh, well, you know, my wife and I talk a lot. <laughs> we process <laughs> a lot and we, we attempt to get on the same page before we have conversations with the kids. At the same time, we show a healthy conflict between the both of us so that that's a good part of a relationship in marriage that conflict actually can be used well that conflict actually is a healthy thing um, that healthy relationships also have boundaries but there's a yeah there's a lot of a, a lot of conversation that happens in terms of the parenting about how do we engage our, our teens especially uh, for example around issues of sexuality around orientation around uh, social media use around image, around um, perfectionism, around careerism. I mean, our kids, you know, thankfully, they do really well in in a number of areas, and they're great kids. But we have to make sure that we're not, you know, because my wife and I are, you know, driven people. We don't want to drive them to product. We want to make sure that they are going through a process that they're they're healthy. They're they don't have to be great at everything. Yeah. And then the other thing is really talking our kids through resiliency and setbacks. So there's a lot of processing. And then there's also times where we engage with other couples who are in similar but also different situations enough and just shoot ideas and say, hey, how have you worked this out? And that's been very helpful as well. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice to have that support with other parents, kids of similar age. You had mentioned showing conflict, right? That you and your wife do have conflict in front of the kids. I think a lot of parents are reluctant or 
they either saw so much of it growing up and it wasn't resolved or they, they didn't see any of it. Say more about that. Well, I mean, for those of, for those of your listeners that like the Enneagram, and I'm sure a lot of people are into the Enneagram right now. So I'm an eight. And so conflict is kind of, <laughs> I feel very comfortable in it. Um, <laughs> I think that's partly why that, that happens in our household. But, but then my wife is a five, so she's more uh, logical and rational. So one of the things I think we're, we're showing our kids is that both of those sort of that gut and head and then the feeling side of, of ourselves come out in conflict and how those are all good things. And those are all, that's part of our humanity. We also really want to show our kids that we're still human beings. And so sometimes we don't do conflict well in front of them and we communicate that to them. But then we've noticed that that allows them and gives them the handlebars and tools to use conflict effectively in their own relationships and in their relationships with other family members. And so my kids just had a conversation with some family members about a difficult issue. And just the fact that they were able to, I think, to start that conversation at 16 and 14 with some family members, I thought was positive and in part potentially because they've seen how conflict can turn into growth and health and, and flourishing. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's, I mean, so much of it is about uh, addressing, at least for the Asian American cultural values, like whether there's shame there Mm -hmm. or whatever is underlying the conflict. um, And to to show like it can be resolved, it can be talked about. And even if it's not resolved, to be okay with some of that tension. Well, you know, as we wrap up, there was one thing I was thinking about. You had mentioned earlier in terms of faith and spirituality, kind of going beyond the evangelicalism that a lot of us are familiar with and exploring some other practices like contemplative prayer. How do you think that can support parents and what has that given you and your wife? That's a a really, honestly, it's a difficult question because I feel like we've used different practices at different times of our kids' lives. Hmm. I think the best spiritual practice that a parent of toddler or little baby could use is sleep. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what you need right now. Um, I think at least where we are at in, in, in our teens' lives is my wife and I are really trying to incorporate a process of silence in our day so that we can get centered, so that we know where, we, where we're at, so where we're kind of emotionally checked in so that when our teens get home and they've had a rough day or when our, our teens are reactive to situations, we first know where we are at so that we don't react in kind. Yeah. The silence piece, the journaling piece, this is not a spiritual practice, but my wife and I really try to have coffee on Saturday mornings before the kids wake oh, up. Yeah. And just that space before the kids wake up, allowing ourselves to kind of debrief the week. We sit, In some ways, we're cleaning out our inbox, our relational inbox. Yeah. And then when we do that from a relational inbox standpoint, then we, get, then we can handle uh, and navigate and love our kids better. Yeah. 
we talk about this in our marital vows, right? That your spouse comes first. Mm. And so we try to practice that in the simple practice of in the mornings having coffee together, that they come first. I mean, that the spouse comes first. That allows us to, I think, engage our teens better. And actually, that's something that I saw in my parents. And that's something that mm. my wife saw in her parents, that they're best friends first. So that was something wow. that we wanted to embed in our relationship. Yeah. I mean, just listening to you makes me excited for when our son becomes a teenager and we can leave him at home <laughs> and we can go get some coffee. For a moment, I'm like, who's taking care of them? <laughs> oh, they can take care of themselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, you've shared a number of really beautiful things today, Rakshan. I'm thinking about the inten intentionality behind looking at diversity and racial issues, helping you, your wife, and your kids together navigate that over the years, and then attending to yourselves, like your own marital relationship. That was a huge piece of what you shared and is encouraging to me. And then I think there's this faith piece that is huge. I think a lot of what you're talking about, I feel like requires parents to have an openness, mm -hmm. adaptability, yeah flexibility over the years, mm -hmm. the way that I knew what parenting was growing up, let me reflect on it and maybe I need to have a different tactic right. in different seasons of my kids' lives. Right. So, you know, I think because the stereotype, but also often the very common experience that many of us had growing up, fairly rigid parenting, right? Fairly, very clear for lots of reasons. Our parents were surviving immigration and all sorts of things and needed it to be a certain way. But it's so important for us to reflect on that and to consider the different dynamics and contexts our children are in now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. And and I'm even thinking too about there are listeners who aren't yet parents, maybe who aren't yet partnered. Yeah. And you know, we hope this conversation is going to encourage them because that self-awareness piece can start now, Absolutely. right? It's not about like when you become a parent that can happen, but um, growing even now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rakshan, thank you so much for your time. Um, so grateful for your family and just your presence in the world to be a gift to many of us. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. This episode was edited by Alexander Cathedral and produced by Jason Chu with music by Mark Redito. We'll see you next time and hope that you remember God loves all of you.